Weirdo Bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hey, genre junkies, it's Sandra. And this is Scott. Welcome to Genre Junkies. <laughs> Welcome no. to Genre Junkies. This <laughs> is awesome it just sounded like genre junkies genre junkies if you say it a third time we appear in your house like beetlejuice <laughs> oh please do we'd like to get out <laughs> let us out let us out hello welcome 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 tonight we have a very special episode for you you notice it's, it's been a very special episode for just months at this point because we've had so many great author interviews yes no i mean i'm proud of it and i mean every one of our episodes is special every one of our authors we talk to is special um and it's just such a proud thing to get to talk to these folks and have that you know that to share with our audience and so then if you guys want to read their books or you just like hearing authors talk we can provide that for you. It's a service that we can provide. <laughs> so on tonight's uh, very, very special episode. Now, I'm kind of saying that like it's like an after school special. I Like the drug episode now. That's <laughs> um, the drug episode of John Shunkies, everybody. <laughs> it's not entirely tr- true. Um, <laughs> on tonight's episode, we talk once again with our friend, author marit weisenberg who we have talked to before uh but it was about two years ago yeah i can't believe that it has been that long since we talked to her neither could she so we talked to her about her new novel the insomniacs and i think this is going to be quite an interesting interesting topic to to discuss for this book it's a little different than some stuff that we've read before but it is um it is adjacent to our our wheelhouse for sure yeah we've been kind of uh branching out a little bit recently you know going a little bit outside of just just strictly horror sci-fi fantasy and kind of been going into a little bit more of as you may have seen thrillers straight young adult contemporary uh we have some true crime coming up yeah, I mean, like I said, there's there's an adjacentness to it that I think is 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 relevant, but um, a lot of it is just kind of finding these stories that we don't want to fly under people's radars too. That we think the author or the story itself has something to say. If you can hear a crunching in the background, the producer Stitches is crawling into a bag as cats are wont to do it's her favorite thing in the world if you know that's how she wants to produce this episode that's her process and we're gonna let her do that some foley work some foley work but yeah um i mean always horror fantasy sci-fi is like our church that's our our father son holy spirit and we always (laughs) come back to that but sometimes you find little bird paths off of there so tonight's kind of like that tonight's book is kind of a ya i was calling it a ya mystery psychological contemporary i think that that is a very long but very apt uh, category yeah and i mean you can break it down however you want but those ones really come to mind to me uh, to to a place where i'm like i can't get rid of one of those descriptors i like all of them yep it's gonna be a very long episode title in that case (laughs) (laughs) we need to come up with some sort of an um, anachronism a wop if you will (laughs) 
Look, see, look how relevant we are here at Genre Junkies. Yeah, we know what that is. <laughs> so um, for our fun fact, I actually want to do a little plugging. Okay, plug away. So we are, I mean, it's always spooky season in the Genre Junkies household. And this year, Halloween is going to look a little different. But as we talked about on some of my other shows on the cult show and on Spooky Slumber Party, you know, Halloween, if you love it, that's an all year round thing. And October 31st is just for the tourists. So even though Halloween's going to look different for all of us in a pandemic, um, it's still going to happen. It's still going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, if you're new around here, maybe maybe you don't know. The month of October, we completely dedicate to horror. All horror, all the time. We usually squeeze in a couple of extra episodes while we're at it. Try, man. We try. Um, so I'm really, really excited because that's part of my Halloween season is is doing that with you guys, is reading horror books with you guys. And if I can get my act together, I really want to put out a reading list of what we're going to do all October so you can follow along. We'll post that on social media and stuff. That's, that's um, Auntie Sandy's goal. <laughs> that's my fun fact for the week. Can I assign your fun fact for you? I, oh. Go go for it, I guess. Yes. So Scott's fun fact is he got a bag of Warhead candy and he's oh. been trying to eat them. <laughs> that, is, that is so funny. That was going to be my fun fact. Oh my God. I feel like this needs to be perhaps, I think we need to do a reels and a TikTok of you eating a Warhead because it's <laughs> hilarious i actually have like a little bit of a of a like a humor sure yes obsessed no like like a like a lock in my jaw Uh from having one like you know that the way you tense up when you have that super sour beginning like my jaw hurts from it now i have not had a warhead in a very 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 long time do you think if you rinsed it off it would not be sour is that a thing if i rinsed it off it would just be pure sugar after the after the um the you the citric acid that's on the top uh-huh. yeah there's technically different flavors it's basically just a, a hard candy of corn syrup and sugar so the, the the sour is what's what it's all about sour is what it's all about people <laughs> oh my gosh hilarious but um i mean if you want to see that if you want to see actual live footage of scott eating a warhead i i know you do so i think you should let let that be known <laughs> I, I don't think anyone wants to see me eat live but but thank you <laughs> well i wouldn't exactly call it eating it's more like i don't know what it is wiggling squirming squirming it, it it's kind of painful <laughs> uh, to be honest with you but it's like you don't stop so that makes it even funnier i don't know warheads are hilarious <laughs> So, um, let's see. The episode with Marit is spoiler-free, is it not? It is. It is spoiler-free. So, we will include that whole interview. um, And then you can join us in the spoiler section if you're ready, if you're ready for that. And there may be a spoiler from Marit as well in there. (laughs) Okay. 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 So, let me get the description here. So, can I also just point out to anybody who hasn't seen this, The Insomniacs is one of the most beautiful book covers I've seen in a long time. That's funny. I read this on ebook. I don't know if I paid attention to the cover. 
Oh, it's so pretty. It looks like it's like a twilight, like kind of, you know, early, early morning scene over a neighborhood, over like some suburban houses, which is very relevant. And there's lights on because that's, of course, our two characters who have their lights on. But it's just like a little tiny sliver of a moon. And the title is kind of fuzzy. And it's just, I don't know. It's just beautiful colors. I just really am feeling it. That is actually a very cool cover, and that one that absolutely would pique my interest in the store. Same. Not that there's a whole lot of going to the store right now, but no, it's a good car. It's a it's a that's a good cover. You're right. All right, so here's the story of the Insomniacs by Marit Weisenberg. Ingrid can't sleep. She can't remember either. A competitive diver, 17-year-old Ingrid, is haunted by what she saw at the pool at a routine meet before falling off the high dive and waking up concussed. The only thing she remembers about the moment before her dive is locking eyes with Van, her neighbor, former best friend, and forever crush, kissing his girlfriend on the sidelines. But that can't be all. Then one sleepless night, she sees Van out her window looking back at her. They begin not sleeping together by night, still ignoring each other at school by day. Ingrid tells herself this is just temporary, but soon she and Van are up every night piecing her memory back together. As Van works through his own reasons for not being able to sleep, they're both pulled into a mystery that threatens to turn their quiet neighborhood into a darker place than they realized. It's so intriguing on that. It's a premise. great premise. And I mean, it lives up. It totally lives up. So let's just kind of get right into it. Okay. So I've had bouts and different times in my life where I've had insomnia. And uh, back two years ago, when we talked to Marit, we, we kind of talked a little bit about that. And in those two years since, I've had more bouts of insomnia at times. <laughs> and there is a kind of weird magic about that time and i mean it's like it's haunting because you can't sleep you want sleep and it's elusive but then you find all these other things that are happening in the night when you think everybody's asleep right we kind of have this idea everybody's asleep and everybody is not asleep and there's this whole other thing that's going on while the rest of your household is asleep. And people do start to lead these kind of double lives. It's interesting. I have very rarely suffered from insomnia. <laughs> uh, but the few times that I have, there are things that you notice at three, four o'clock in the morning that you know, just it give me little things like, oh, I guess my neighbor goes to work pretty early in the morning or, you know, oh, I, there's a really bird. Exactly. Uh, I read this book, however, while I was camping and I really do suffer from insomnia while I'm camping. I, I you know, sleep in f uh, fits and starts and I usually end up reading to get myself more tired. And this was the book I was reading. It's very apt. It was... If you suffer from insomnia and you read this book while you're currently exhausted because of insomnia, it will kind of do things to you. <laughs> so, Scott, what was your experience with this book? This book is an absolute page turner. I was so excited to read every single minute of it. Um, it's it is it's very tense. I didn't know where this book was going. Yes. And that kind of that kind of added to that tension for me. 
it there, there's there's points in this book where it could go in any direction. There can be just uh, uh it can just be a um an issue of mental health. It can be incredibly dark with you know something really sinister happening and then everything in between and waiting for that that shoe to drop waiting for that that emotional payoff was stressful but i couldn't wait to get to it you know i guess i should say there is um there's a trigger warning in this book and I think that we will put that before the spoiler section because it does lead to some spoiler questions with Marit too. Yeah. So we'll we'll put that in there, but we'll keep this part all um, trigger free and hence spoiler free. So you'll just be able to not get all the spoilers, but hear that at the beginning of the spoiler section. That's how we do it here on Chandra Junkies. Yeah. <laughs> just FYI, that's how we do it. If you're new, um, yes. Yeah, so for my experience, I think this landed for me at just a really solid good read. Um, I was very happy with this book. I was very satisfied with this book. Um, I think it's well written. I loved Marit's earlier works that we read, Select and Select Few. And I feel like she is an even better writer. It's kind of like she leveled up. Yes. And really, like her character work, I've always admired. But Ingrid, for me, I just, I love Ingrid so, so much, our lead character in this book. She is so incredibly believable to me. I feel like she's my neighbor. She's my cousin. She's, you know, she's like family to me, her and her mom. Um, I just really, really loved them both. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But she just made the book absolutely sing for me. I was so invested in her. I was so proud of her. Um, you know, she's she doesn't have everything figured out. She doesn't have her whole life together. Obviously, she's a, she's a teenager, not that adults ever do either. But she has a good head on her shoulders. And she has pride and she just has those those kind of smarts where she's street smart and she's also just a smart cookie. Uh, I just I just really really have such a soft spot in my heart for my cousin Ingrid. <laughs> it's not just Ingrid that I love as well. Ingrid looks at the other characters in this book with such this level of of love that you end up falling in love with with all of the characters in this book. Her her mother is incredibly sympathetic and strong um van is a, a wonderful kind person with a with a you know beautifully complicated family dynamic mm-hmm. and this book you know there's really two strong themes that drives this book one is the mystery of what what is causing this this insomnia what what happened that she can't remember but the other side is her relationships and her her learning who she is and who she wants to be with other people yeah and that's a very complicated and kind of a lifelong journey and i think people change that as as because we all change our whole lives and i think that people change that that outlook and that's this is kind of where you start that process of like kind of figuring out who you who you really want to be and what your values and your morals are and kind of your first reflection of that is kind of as like an older teenager there um i love of course everybody loves flawed characters and 
you know, that's what makes life interesting is ourself being flawed characters. We're attracted to other ones. But in here, she does a great job of humanizing just about everybody. We talk about that in the interview. Like she lets the parents be real people. So I, um, I asked her too, like if she's Scandinavian, because Ingrid and Elsa, that's <laughs> Ingrid and her mom, they're Scandinavian. Um, Ingrid's dad was black and uh, her mom is white and her family is from Sweden in the book. And there's something that I really saw in myself and kind of in my family members in the two of them, especially in Elsa. And so I kind of like, it's always fun when you see kind of, that representation a little bit, you know, it's, um, it's not something that I, I don't know, I don't see a whole lot in books. And like my family being um, from Finland, there's a concept there called Sisu. And I know I'm not pronouncing that right. I'm sorry. I didn't ever get to learn Finnish from my grandma. But um, where it's kind of this, this grit, this determination, this stoicism. Um, and I think that that's a very Scandinavian concept in general, of this kind of like, you know, I don't want to say pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but like just really this and we go on and we go on and we go on type of thing. And I I get that so much from the two of them. And there's pros and cons to that attitude. And you see that in the book too. Yes. So I'm going to go ahead and give my appeal score on this book. I I think that this really... hmm. I've been going back and forth on it. It's so hard. I'm going to give this a broad appeal. I think that this book uh, has a, you know, has a has a lot. It's hard for me to give an appeal score to a book that doesn't fall into our normal categories of, of our normal genre categories, mm-hmm. because you know I feel like our scoring system was kind of built for it. Um, I like this book a lot. I think this really is for. Um, a slightly younger audience. I think that this is definitely um, relevant to 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 those who read young adult novels. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit bigger than than that. So I think broad. You were right when you just kind of had the broad part of it. Um, I think that there's something that can be gained from people with maybe teenagers in their lives, nieces or nephews or moms and dads, like kind of reading this book too. Um, I think there's some things that are universal that has nothing to do with age. And there's some great family dynamics, as well as a mystery that is, it's not a thriller. It's the type of mystery that really kind of pains your heart. All right. So I think it's time for the spoiler-free section of our interview with Mart Weisenberg. Right, so excited for her to join us again, and we'll see you in the spoiler section. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Hey, John and Junkies, Scott here. While we were talking with Marit in our pre-interview conversation, some things came up that we really wanted to touch on on the interview anyway. So with Marit's permission, we started recording about halfway through our pre-show conversation, and we're going to just go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, 
This started when Mart asked us about our experience talking to other authors about their experience writing and publishing through COVID. So we're going to jump right in and please welcome Marit Weisenberg, author of The Insomniacs. This is actually one of the questions oh, we, we have, have this for, question you. for you. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, yeah, most like it's really been across the gamut as far as authors. Uh, Some authors have really said that, you know, this has inspired them. They've had a chance to write five, six books in this period, which is insane. (laughs) Um, And then there's a lot who has said, you know, this is there's there's nothing. There's nothing in the tank right now with everything going on. And and releasing books has been, you know, people are doing online releases. People are, you know, trying to just do interviews like this. You know, a little lackluster for some of the debut authors we've talked right, to. But right. yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad it's not my debut. Because, le- you know, then I um, know what what the you know the old normal was um, of going to conferences right. and doing a um, launch in a bookstore and um, yeah yeah because I mean and everything was so much was online anyway um, yeah with digital media and podcasts and Instagram and um, but you know there was still so much in person so it is yeah. so yeah it does feel like a bit is missing. But <laughs> there's a piece missing. There's a piece puzzle. missing. Yeah. I mean, the one nice thing is for, um, you know, just getting to go to as a um, audience member, you know, now I can go to book launches, anyone's book launch. I can go to any kind of, <laughs> you know, the Texas right. book festival. I can see so many authors where, you know, before that was, you know, you had to pick and choose and go when you could go. So yeah. there are some, there are some, a few silver linings. There, there is, and I appreciate that. So, so what are your plans for for your book birthday tomorrow? With Yay. you know how everything has changed. Oh my gosh! Well, I don't even know. I was thinking about that. I tomorrow, not too much is different, and uh, you know, I think mostly, you know, I think originally I would have gone to bookstores and signed some books, but that I'm going to do that later. I book people with an appointment. And, um, so the actual Austin book launch is going to be on, um, September 9th, uh, through book people. So, and Lila sales, who's an awesome editor and author is going to interview me and she has a book coming out later, um, in the month too. And so, yeah, everything so that'll be my first virtual event. And that'll be really interesting because I think, you know, I'm inviting all kinds of people, but I think the way it's set up, it's a webinar, so you can't see anyone. So it'll be just oh. like I'm talking to Lila. So <laughs> it'll be, I mean, in a way, relaxing, but also, you know, I won't. It's it's you know, it's different. So you we'll don't see have how that, that energy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Crowd. Um. So we'll see. Yeah. The last time we talked to you about Select and Select Few, um, you explained that you had written the first novel while you were taking a class with Amanda Air Ward, and you followed it up with its sequel, which was a different experience in and of itself because it wasn't in that class. So this is your first published novel completely outside of that experience. How has it differed for you? I, um, I think it was funny because when I finished, I just kind of did what I did the first two times, you know, it was like a new year and, um, it's seemingly, I always kind of start books in January. And so I just kind of stayed 
on the same schedule. And I think I was so scared of what happens when I'm done with these two books that, you know, I had a couple, a few years planned out and then it was, you know, okay, now what? And I just hit the ground running and, um, stayed on a schedule and, did, took a lot of what I learned from Amanda's class and kind of plotted out my five main scenes and then <laughs> um, finished my first draft. And um, yeah, it was funny. Like I learned sort of uh, the way I work and my method and whether or not, um, you know, maybe I should be making adjustments to it, but it's worked for me to stick to this crazy rigid <laughs> way I write books. Well, first of all, it sounds like that class really stuck, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I'll just go ahead and, and, you know, spoil it for you for the episode. It's working. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's working. thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, every time I have no idea, you know, I'm like, <laughs> is this working? So I'm sure every <laughs> author feels that way. Yeah, no, I believe that. Actually, it works. It works so well. So Ingrid feels so real to me. I feel like I could go to Texas and find her right now. Is she based on a real person? Um, I probably shouldn't say this, but um, one of one of my daughters is uh, you know, she's just very. I don't know what the word is like um, hard on herself and um, much more of a closed book. I mean, she's young. She's not nowhere near being a teenager yet, but I, I, that's, it's very different from me. I'm more open and verbal. And so I'm really kind of fascinated by these closed book types, you know, who are really um, precise and hard on themselves and um, perfectionists. And so, you know, I really wanted um, to write that kind of character. Oh, I, I think that's so cool because I'm probably more on your side too of like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like a super vulnerable person, I guess, but I am a lot more open. And so I just, I just wanted to get to know Ingrid and like, yeah, no, that's so cool that your daughter's one of those types of people. And it's so different from me, you know, because I do think, <laughs> you know, and I am really fascinated by that question of, you know, when you hold, there is a lot of power when you hold your cards close to the vest, you know, and people can't read you. And um, you, I think there's a line in the book of, you know, you do really win when you're people don't perceive you as vulnerable. And I think in our society, that's very true in a lot of ways. So, I mean, that was a question that, you know, I'm just interested in. And um, so I think that from the very beginning of the book, I, I decided to, to explore that. And and I don't think that there's, yes, I, I side on, I want Ingrid to open up and be vulnerable um, and to not be so alone. But I just do think it's a really interesting question of how people respond to people who seem like they have it all together. Because yeah. everyone, you know, every no one has everything together. <laughs> no. no, no. But it's like the Bridget Jones, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, today, today is going to be different. I'm going to have it all together. <laughs> exactly. So Insomnia is such a departure from the select books. How did this psychological mystery contemporary story come to be? I think I always had the idea of, um, in high school, I had a friend who, um, she just always, she was an insomniac. And she, at some point, I realized she had um, this whole second life at night. I mean, she was friends with um, 
people who I didn't even know she knew and boys and, um, you know, she'd be on the phone all night. And so all of a sudden I was like, wait, you, it's like you have two different lines during high school, you know? And, um, so I always had that in the back of my head. And then, um, I think to that setup of rear window of, um, you know, somebody who is never idle and all of a sudden they're stuck and, Mm. and they're at home and they're never really at home and they're looking out their, their window, um, and, and, and what they see and what's, what is right there. And if you're, you know, looking hard enough, eventually some action's going to go by your window. So, um, I think I kind of married those two ideas together. I am a big fan of that, um, that device, that rear window device of, you know, kind of that voyeur and what you see sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I love that this has a really contemporary feel to, to that device. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think the one hard thing was there's no, um, you know, it's not a murder, it's a mystery. And uh, it's not, a, it's not quite a thriller. It's not a thriller. Um, so, um, so kind of making that work, you know, using that rear window <laughs> with um, having it be more subtle. Yes, a little, perhaps a little more realistic than <laughs> the yeah, murder right, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that whole block is all rear windowing themselves. <laughs> At the same time, it's a very, uh, uh, you know, everybody's kind of, in everybody else's business. Have you been in a situation like that before? Oh, yeah, that suburban mirror. Yeah. yeah. I think um, not so... My neighborhood is... Um, it's not quite like that, but, um, but you know, I can see when you're in a community, everybody, you know, you start to... People know other people. And so I can see how, especially on a cul-de-sac, um, in when kids all grow up to each with each other, you know, a lot of the parents, they're out on the street watching the kids. I think everybody, I'm guessing everyone, you know, will begin to know people's business, right? And also, (laughs) but also this nice way of looking at after each other too. Um, And I think that's a real mixed bag. You know, some people really want community, other people, you know, would rather are, you know, more introverted. And I think too, you know, for Ingrid, it's like, well, what, you know, you've sort of decided that this community, you just want to get away, but you know, what value is there in community for you after all? So that's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. Finding a little bit of positivity to it. Yeah. Cause I, I do, I love, I think there's, there's pluses and minuses that come with that kind of fishbowl, you know, and I think with <laughs> COVID, I think with COVID too, and we've all appreciated our neighbors a lot more. Um, yes. And, um, you know, I think probably I'm sure some people see their neighbors a lot more than they used to and that could be a problem but I know you know like my parents their neighbors were asking them if they needed groceries and you know there is such a a nice kind of there's been some nice that have nice things that have come out of it. So on the subject of COVID, uh, this is kind of where we almost jumped into our interview for those listening at home. This is such a crazy and strange time to be alive in our history. And how has the pandemic affected you as a writer? Oh my gosh, it's been, well, just from a working standpoint, it's been really hard. Um, I, and I, I'm pretty open about it with my family. Uh, <laughs> I just, I love, probably my favorite thing in the world is writing in a house that's empty and having that, that space and um, that quiet. And so just from a pure working standpoint, um, 
people being around, even if I have a door closed, it's just a little different. Um, so that's, so I feel like I'm working fewer hours, um, which is frustrating. Um, in a way it's kind of, I'm off the hook in some ways, but it's also, it's hard. Um, <laughs> and, but I, I'm trying to think if I, I just finished a draft of something new, um, Ooh. And so I was like having to be creative during the beginning. I think I finished the draft um, in early May and then I did a revision. So I really had to be creative in that beginning of COVID. And that was really hard. I'd, I'd wake up and I um, I ended up spending probably... So the, kind of the way I, I would get around the working situation is wake up really early before everybody got up. But I found that I wasted some of that time looking at the news and so I'd spend, you know, I'd go from the New York Times, the Washington Post, to local news, to looking at, you know, the numbers in Austin, and it wasted so much time, you know. And so then I try and use it as a carrot, like, okay, work for a couple hours, and then you can look, you know, at all the stats. <laughs> and that it was really, it was, yeah, it was, it was so tough in that real beginning period of uncertainty. Right. It's it's unprecedented. And a lot of our writers who we talk to, they have a lot of ritual around their writing. And yeah, so you're you're not alone in trying to find this new way to to do your job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a lot of us have <laughs> many people are are having to, you know, work with other people around and and in different spaces that aren't quite comfortable. And it's not like any of us can easily go to a coffee shop or anything like that. So, <laughs> well, and you never know what that might inspire, too, for some of you writer types. I know. I wonder if everybody has a COVID idea at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Are, but, yeah, is it going to be post apocalyptic? Is it going to be living right. on top of people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So family dynamics play a really big role in the story, in the story, and they feel incredibly authentic. Uh, what made you include that theme in this book? I think I think um, you know some of my favorite books are um, they're really about families, like um, like little fires everywhere. You know, it's kids and parents and. Um, you know, the, I love, I was just thinking about it this morning, the book, um, Tell the Wolves I'm Home. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, we're, you maybe it's mostly, it's why considered YA and mostly about the kids, but there's, there's some family dynamics in there. And I, I love that. And so I think with, um, Ingrid, um, I, I mean, it just sort of appeared. I knew who her family was. I think that was one of the earliest things I knew was who, you know, I could see this dad. I mean, even though he's absent the whole book, like I, I feel like I can see him and, um, I knew who he was. I knew what kind of dad he was. And, and then her mom, um, you know, they just sort of, they were really came early. Um, and so I think the trick was not having, you know, how do you have these characters who play such a big role, not take up too much space, but be, be a part of it. Yeah, no, I love I love those things that you referenced too. family drama. Um, it can play into so many different genres. And it's such a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it, I mean, there's endlessly fascinating dynamics with families. So you actually uh, referenced a couple of books, but I think we'd all love to know, what have you been reading, watching during this uh, weird shut in time? 
Oh, I think, well, the big, um, normal people was the big winner for me, um, during COVID, which, um, you know, but the Sally Rooney, I mean, I read the book back in the fall and I, um, passionately adore that book. And, um, and then the Hulu series came out and I was not, you know, prepared to watch a show about, you know, one of my favorite books of one of my favorite books, but it turned, it did not disappoint. It was so intense and beautiful. And I could only watch one episode at a time because it was so intense. (laughs) And I don't know if you guys have seen it, but you know, it's essentially, you know, these, um, teens and then they go in their early twenties and their relationship, which, you know, that is right up my alley. So I loved it. Um, and then I think the other, I've been reading, um, YA I've been reading, trying to think, um, thrillers. Um, it's been such a long, crazy haul that (laughs) a lot of, um, the last dance that was a huge family winner of the the Michael Jordan documentary oh, um, yeah series yeah um but yeah it feels like it's all been a blur <laughs> fair enough fair enough just absorbing <laughs> so much um i learned a lot about the sport of diving during this book it's so amazing like i we're big proponents of read anything you will always learn something and i i had no idea about what it was like to be a diver are you a diver or anyone no, in your family no no. <laughs> no that was another crazy thing i did was i i don't know why i mean ingrid just was a diver and <laughs> And, um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of, I like, I would rather write than um, do research where I, I have, you know, a few writer friends who just love research. And um, yeah, and so, but I was like, okay, you know, now I need to, now I need to figure this out. Um, so I talked to a few people and I went to a couple diving practices and, but it was mostly from talking to people kind of hearing about, you know, the type, there are different types of people who, you know, approaches basically. And, um, and you know what a coach can do for you and yeah, just how, I mean, it's crazy watching someone die from, from so high. I mean, I would never, I mean, you really have to be so fearless. So I was, I was pretty fascinated by that. Oh yeah. No, I can't, I cannot imagine. I, I guess you have to start when you're young and fearless because good yeah, word. And you don't know any better. <laughs> and I think too, and I think also I was reading, um, I don't remember what skier it was, but she had this moment where, you know, she was this amazing skier. Um, and she, for whatever reason, kind of early twenties had this moment, um, where she kind of developed an awareness kind of like Ingrid does. And at that point, I mean, it just messed with her mental state, you know, so you're, um, you know, and they're definitely, there've been, for me, it was also skiing when I was little, I didn't, think too much about it. And then, you know, as I got to be a teenager, I was like, wait, this is scary. (laughs) And so that moment of awareness and how that can mess with you. And it it is kind of this coming of age moment of I'm not completely, you know, um, you know, things can happen to me. Um, This is almost a statement more than a question, but I I just wanted to say thank you for including such a diverse cast of characters. The neighborhood feels real, and we love reading books like that and promoting that diversity. Thank you for doing that. Oh, good. Yay. It's important. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It is. Yeah, and it was really important for me um, that Van 
be different from the rest of his family. Um, mm. I really that was a, that's a dynamic that was interesting to me. Oh my gosh! What, and such an interesting character Van is. Where I I just wanted to know, like, how's he gonna turn out? How is Van gonna be okay? And it's funny because, like, I was so so attached to Ingrid, and I found myself just getting more and more attached to Van throughout the story. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's so sad, you know. I really um, and I actually know someone that happened to uh, when they like were small their um their father was hit on the side of the road changing a tire and you know they never really knew their dad and so yeah so i i think because i knew that that had happened to someone like i really felt that for van you know of like this huge and you kind of had this your mother too had this before you know and then kind of this this second life after that um maybe she moved you know moved on but um you know, he, he never, he, he ne- didn't really, he still struggles with it. I think this will definitely be something that we talk about in our recap of the book. But um, I think it's really important in YA to have these adults that are human, too. And you do a great job of humanizing the parents. Oh, good. Maybe because I am one. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I know, like, how tricky it is and how you're never really, you know, I remember thinking my parents were just perfect. I never thought they were perfect, but they were just adults, you know? And then when you are one, you realize, Oh, you're just this person, you know, doing your best, your best by your kids. I wanted to talk about your approach towards, uh, YA or or whatever you want to title your books because you you've definitely shown a history of putting um young adult characters into adult situations reacting in adult ways what what is what is what is your view about you know writing uh teenagers and young adults uh truthfully and honestly I think I don't know I think that's an interesting question I just um, you know, I love romance. I love that. Um, you know, I think it'd be hard for me not to write some kind of teen romance. That's sort of, you know, my favorite thing to write in the world. But I think I, that moment, that kind of coming of age moment of realizing, um, you know, the adults in your life are people, you know, they're not, they're not on this other level than you and they're not, they're not maybe even totally safe. You know, I just think there's that moment that, um, and maybe most people can't point to that moment that it happens, but some of us can, you know, and I think (laughs) I'm, I'm interested in that moment. And so I think that that maybe that's what I'm trying to get to in, in what I'm writing. Uh, two quick questions. One, how is your adorable dog? (gasps) He's so adorable. (laughs) (laughs) How's he doing? Is he doing good? He's doing, he's doing great. And, um, yes, it's, yeah, he is just, um, the most spoiled dog with his good dog food. And yes. <laughs> yeah, he is adorable and he doesn't bark and he doesn't jump. And so he actually, he's such a good, um, I was so scared about getting a dog with um, writing at home. And so he's, he's turned out to be a really good, if he, as long as he gets some, a big run in the morning, he's pretty, he leaves me alone. So I can write. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love you need to post just like a daily picture of him. He's just I like, know. Oh, and he has the longest eyelashes in the entire oh. world. So yeah, he's sweet. 
And second question, and I hope you don't mind me asking this, um, are you, and I know because of your name, are you Scandinavian like Ingrid and Elsa? Yes. So <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, so am I. I'm part, yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, my mom is part Norwegian. So um, yeah, that's where that's where I got the name. And then my, it's funny because um, I did not really want to write my exact dynamic, but um, I ended up sort of, I did. Um, so my mom's part Scandinavian, not totally like Elsa. Um, and then my dad is Jewish. So that's the, that's how, that's the dynamic I grew up with. Oh, I love it. Thank you for answering that. Cause I am, um, hella Scandinavian. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> and, are? Oh, yeah. Nice. And oh. so I love reading about Scandinavian American characters and I'm, I'm going to talk more about that in the episode too, but it was just a uh, lot of what, your voice. Where, but, what country? Uh, Finland. Oh, and, yeah. That's- and a lot of like I've said, I'll I'll get into it. It's more like, you know, kind of gushing than like questions. But I see so much of Elsa and myself and my family. So Oh, that's awesome. That it's just that it's kind of and good and bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I my mom's family. Um, yeah, and I've been back in Norway. And yeah, they're they're um yes, I won't say more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. We just um, Scandinavians have kind of a way, kind of a way about us. And uh, I saw that and I felt that in myself and Elsa. I'm like, oh, that could be my cousin, Elsa. And that's her daughter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My daughter's um, one of my daughters. Her name is Astrid. So she kind of has that, you know, follows the Scandinavian name tradition. I love it. I love it. All right, Marit. So to close us off, the last time we spoke with you, you let us out with a great hint into the book that you were working on, which turned out to be The Insomniacs. It's a miracle. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) What are you working on now? Um, I just finished a draft of another young adult contemporary about... um, a family on the run and um, the parents, the parents won't just to kind of protect their identity. They won't tell their, um, their daughter, they won't tell their daughters, their actual real identities, but then it all, um, their oldest daughter takes a DNA test and pieces it all together. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a good elevator, elevator pitch. Uh, Yeah. I need to work on it, but that's, that's (laughs) just, so, um, yeah, it's kind of, cause I'm fascinated by, um, the golden state killer thing and how, I mean this, it is not a thriller. It's not a thriller. It's another Mm -hmm. family, um, kind of mystery, but it, uh, you know, just, you can't hide anymore. You know, no one can, you know, if you, um, and that book inheritance by Danny Shapiro is mm-hmm. amazing. And essentially like people, you know, you can find out so many family secrets just like that. It's just data now. I mean, technology is it's arrived. So, Oh, that sounds very us. And it sounds very Scott yeah. in particular. I think he's going to have some feelings. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so much. And where can everybody find you? Um, MaritWeisenberg.com, but mostly on Instagram at MaritWeisenberg. Well, we will absolutely be linking to you so that all of our listeners who probably already know you at this point, but will be able to find you if they're new to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, you guys. It was so nice to talk to you.
How fun. Thank you again, Marit, for that. Thank you, Marit. So before we get into the spoilers, um, let me just quickly give you a couple of trigger warnings that could be considered spoiler content. So one (laughs) is teenagers using and becoming addicted to drugs. Yes. The other one is someone in a position of power. uh, Abusing that power. Abusing that power in a predatory manner. Yeah. So let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so now that we have all read the book and had some time to digest this, let's jump into it. So, of course, the big, big thing on everybody's mind is probably Coach Mike. Yeah, it broke my heart. I My, my stomach just dropped when I found out that Coach Mike was taking advantage of his position and also had a history of it. And had a history of doing it, of course. Um, So my fear through this book was that he had had an inappropriate relationship with Ingrid. That was kind of what I was working with through like what her traumatic thing could, you know, her traumatic kind of triggering event was. Um, I mean, of course, it's just as awful that it was a teammate, but it's an interesting point of view to have it not be from that teammate, Carolyn, but from the person who that was her hero, her father figure, a family member person in her life. And, and it's and it's framed as a true betrayal in the way that it truly is. Oh, it's yes, because absolutely. When I first started the book and and Coach Mike was introduced, I was thinking to myself the same thing. Oh, you know, this could go this could go there because yeah. we are talking about someone in you know, a man in his 30s who has a lot of interaction with teen girls and Marit does a really good job of setting the seeds where you where where that is absolutely where it does end up going and it and it i hate to say pays off but it definitely is is earned Mm -hmm. but ingrid talking about her coach to us the reader Mm -hmm. made me feel like she was almost saying like hey reader don't worry this book is about some stuff but it's not about that right this is kind of a different story and i kind of trusted ingrid's take on that Mm -hmm. i wasn't expecting her to be you know in a way an unreliable narrator when it came to coach mike because she wasn't being honest with herself right and when these scandals happen it's like there's so much fallout and there's so much to think about and there's so much to like handle and you know the the effects of it psychologically on so many people and I mean, of course, the the victims directly involved is is incredibly important, but there's more than that because people are complicated and they have more relationships than that. And it was very interesting to see how our how our Ingrid, you know, how she combines the trauma of what Mike did with the trauma of what her dad did. In a lot of ways, she has been um, betrayed by the father figures in her life. Yeah. Yeah. When did Mike's betrayal really become the the main hook of the story? Um, that was really hard. I um, you know, that that came after I had the characters and I kind of knew I wanted this rear window thing and I was like, okay, where am I headed with this? 
and finally, you know, where in the story is there something, you know, where's the drama in the story? Where's the potential betrayal? And I think finally, like, I landed on what kind of betrayal I wanted it to be. And I resisted at first, but um, I think then I was talking to a friend and and she was saying, like, well, you know, the the interesting story or the kind of the big flashy story is about the girl who has the affair where kind of in a way, the more interesting one is how it affects the person who Mm. on this, you know, who witnesses it is on the side and who really trusted this adult figure. And then I was like, okay, done. Yes. I love that idea. Um, Because I think, you know, all of us, you know, whether it's like a big, you know, celebrity figure like Bill Cosby or someone, you know, we looked up to, you know, there are those moments of total disappointment. Um, and so then it became interesting, but it did come later and I was like, okay, is this, is this it? Is this the path? <laughs> and it's, it's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. And um, I, yeah, I, I love that examination of somebody who was so close to this predator, but didn't have that relationship with them. Um, And how you deal with that and how you unpack that. It's a very brave thing to write about. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I I remember having um, somebody I knew, like, I I think the minister from the church um, had had an affair with somebody, you know, who is that age. and, you know, really for my friend who, it didn't happen to her, but it, I mean, it really, she had some, you know, when she went off to college, like it really, you know, turned her off from the church. It really, like there's some definite ramifications for, you know, the betrayal that happens, even if it, it's not you who's involved. So, um, yeah, it's, it's sad. And I think about too myself because I'm I'm Coach Mike's age, <laughs> you know I'm 34, and it's like you have that just like oh my god what I mean aside from being it's like how could you have any interest in somebody who's in high school like what's wrong with you like there's it's like a different species almost yeah but don't you know those people who are you know kind of like king of the kids you know i feel yeah. like it's, yeah. yeah and who they, they are want that glory day back or something yeah and they're awkward with parents but they're like they do they're so great in their realm you know and they get such accolades but and they can kind of create their own cult of celebrity that i feel like you know it's a personality type yeah you can see you know you know that archetype that coach yeah. mike i spit on yeah. his name coach mike yeah <laughs> One of the first things that that came to mind for me when I was reading this book is, oh, you know, this could be a Coach Mike situation. And you do a really strong job of steering the reader away from that and like instilling this strong level of trust in Mike where you just don't even think about him anymore. How, how did you like... What was the process to create that that feeling? Oh, it was that was actually really really hard. Um, it, it so I think I started. I think the first draft was like I think he was much more of a jerk. He was much more con- kind of. I mean, he's controlling still, but um, I mean, he was her father figure, but he was not a great. Um, yeah. guy. And then it was like, no, no, no. Finally, it was kind of a relief. And I landed on, um, 
he needs to be someone like we all love. Everybody loves him, but he still needs to be that coach who's like ordering her around and like, you've got this and like, you know, pain is weakness, leaving the body, like that kind of thing. It was hard. And also how to make it, um, you know, not out of nowhere, uh, to lay down enough track that, you know, then you can see it later. Um, yeah, it was tricky, but Mike was super duper tricky for me. And I think I kind of ended up filling him in later in the process because my first draft, I wasn't sure, you know, he wasn't coming through for me at all. I think that's great. I I think you totally nailed it because it didn't like come completely out of, you know, the blue that he, you know, had something ulterior going on. But yeah, but it was a good misdirection too. When it hit, it hurt. Oh, good, good. I mean, and, you know, it's sad, but um, yeah. And but I remember, effective. you know, my yeah. agent, my agent and I, I think before we submitted it to um, my editor, I think it was that, you know, like, I think we put in a couple scenes that made him a little heinous. I think that was missing before. Um, like, I think we put in, she suggested, it was a great suggestion, that scene where Ingrid imagines what, how it, how it all, you know, happened. Yeah, there was a lot the it was a long process with him a challenge yeah that's good yeah (laughs) we like you on your toes (laughs) yeah no it's funny with every book it's with every project you just don't know what's going to end up giving you trouble and what you know where you're there's always a couple things that you're that i get stuck and so that was one of them for this it's devastating. And you just you feel for her so much. And luckily, she has this incredibly awesome mom and community uh, around her, uh, but especially mom, <laughs> who's like, you know, we're gonna fix this. And we're gonna get through this and is so incredibly there for her, even though she has to physically not be there for her sometimes because that's reality of parents working and you know when they they make a point that her mom wants to spend that quality time with her and you know kind of thanks her for the things she does and all of that they love each other they're very bonded and committed but it's complicated because they you know her mom doesn't cook they have tv dinners <laughs> you know and they see each other at these kind of odd hours but it's it's because that's life and that's how they have to to do this right now it's really difficult to be uh it's really difficult for somebody who is growing up themselves and learning who they are and learning who they want to be yes. and at the same time be very worried about you know, their own parents' happiness. And I appreciate how their relationship is presented in a complicated manner where her mother is not doing something wrong. She is making sacrifices and working very hard for Ingrid, you know, very strictly for Ingrid. And because of that, she is not around very much. And that is very difficult. And Ingrid recognizes the sacrifices that her mother has to make and, and therefore, you know, makes decisions around that. That's an unfortunate position to be in as a child. At the same time, uh, there's nothing wrong with their relationship. And in fact, in a lot of ways, it's very beautiful. And part of that is because, you know, especially after Ingrid, you know, makes some realizations about herself and finally gets some sleep, they're able to communicate. 
Well, and you know, it's important to remember and to see that not everybody's rich. And that's complicated. Um, I grew up uh, poor. And I, I get I get that. And I got so much of of that setting and that feeling and kind of this this guilt and this obligation that Ingrid feels to, you know, do her do her best and do her utmost to make things easy on her mom. And she sees the bills and she sees the house needs repair and all of that stuff. And and that it's a complicated way to feel because, uh, you know, you feel proud and you, you know, you know that your parents doing the best. But of course, it's like, you no, know, she doesn't necessarily want friends to come over and stuff because she feels a little embarrassed. And it's like, that's totally fine. That's that's totally understandable. And I feel like so many people are are in that, you know, kind of lower middle class, you know, in quotes, I'm saying boat where, um, you know, you're not rich and you do see what your neighbors have and how they live and you have complicated feelings about it. When, when the moment when you are aware of the ha- the haves and have nots and see that you're one of the have nots, that can be very difficult. Oh, absolutely. Very, very difficult. And it, it puts a lot of pressure on on the child and the parent. No doubt. Um, I'd kind of said earlier that I think this is a good book to read if you have teens in your life, whether you're a parent or you're maybe you're a big sister or an, an uncle or whatever your thing is. Because um, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, there's stuff I I vividly remember about being a teenager, but at the same time, there's stuff that <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> and so it's you, you get what I mean. So there's yeah. like times where it's like, oh yeah, gosh, that was weird. And oh, I such a like this fog of like, I remember having feelings like that. And I remember feeling complicated about these things. And, you know, nothing is new under the sun. And kids of all ages are, are still going through traumas and weird things and first loves and worries and anxieties and it just kind of helps to you know have a little check-in sometime to remember that you know they're they're people too yeah because i can say that you know even as we get older sometimes we you know we make some jokes about you know the younger generation the kids oh what do they have to worry about that's because we're millennials and we're being (laughs) abused by gen z on a daily basis so it's a little bit of a, of a striking back, yes, but no, it is important to remember the 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 struggles and very unique pressures that are on teenagers, and this is a really this is a really real uh, representation of that. Even mature teenagers like Ingrid, and like how in a lot of ways I was, you know, kind of a mature teen, kind of going through some mm-hmm. stuff too. Is you're still a teen, <laughs> and you know, there's times where the teen feels. I've got to take this on and I've got to shoulder this burden. And it's like, no, you don't. <laughs> and it's um, it's hard for them to say it. So sometimes as the adult in a situation, you have to remind them that you're there for that stuff. Uh, so the drug thing was sad and hard to read about with the kids going through that. Very realistic, though. I mean, a lot of people, that's where they start to experiment with drugs. And for some people, that's where they get really hooked. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to look at it from that viewpoint of kids you grew up with or kids who grew up together. And, you know, kind of like, okay, how are we going to get through this? And as kind of like in a community 
in a way, they're kind of figuring out how to get through a few different really tough problems. I have to say, in real talk for a minute, um, I had experiences that were similar to what they were going through mm. in the house as far as drugs and alcohol use as teenagers. And that that was probably one of the most uh, realistic parts of this for me is yeah. because it does really just, it starts as, oh, it's a couple of your friends that you know, and you're just experimenting and having a good time and you're in a quote unquote safe place yeah. with your friends, but it spirals out of control. It becomes a... Um, it becomes a coping mechanism. It becomes a routine, yeah. which is which is very dangerous and can lead to true addiction and and just completely losing control of your situation. Yeah, and it's um, it, it falls really into this niche of where these kids are, where you're not an adult, but you, you don't really feel like a little kid anymore. And, you know, you kind of start to think like, oh, I can kind of handle this, whatever the situation is, the drugs, the insomnia, the <laughs> the coach Mike, <laughs> whatever it is, yeah. you're like, oh, I can handle this. I, I can handle this. And just quickly things get out of your control because that happens to, you know, grownups. So why wouldn't it happen to a teen as well? Yeah. And, and teens, you know, like I said, they, they're, they're struggling with these new um, responsibilities, both, both, you know, actual, like getting into college and as well as emotional with between their friends, their parents, mm -hmm. the expectations that are laid upon them. And there's a communication that, well, you're just kids yeah. And so it's not really that hard for you. But, you know, in contrast with like, well, actually, there's a lot on my plate and everyone's experience is their own and everyone has their own struggles. And how do you, you know, it can lead to a bit of a rebellion against any of that. Absolutely. Like, it's like, well, okay, if I'm just a kid, then this is my time to just do what I want to do. But I'm also, you know, but I'm also feeling these adult things. So I'm yeah. going to use this to numb them. And and it's hard because when you're a kid too, um, you're not fully thinking through about consequences as well. And that's a huge part of this book is consequences of people's actions, adults or teenagers. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Van. <laughs> so Van is a great character. And uh, he's another one that I'm like, oh, Aunt Sandy just, you know, you have such affection for them. And you're like, you're going to be okay, Van. And there were so many times where I was really proud of him. And I mean, and there was times where I'm like, he's being dumb. But again, he's a teenager. He's got to be dumb and it's okay. But, you know, things like when he has Ingrid help him get the dog put down. And that ends up being really symbolic of, you know, his and his mom's, you know, this thing that binds them together. There was just moments like that where I was so proud of him. And I felt such compassion for him. And just like, oh, honey, you don't have to go through this alone. Like, this isn't a thing that you're supposed to do without your mom. Yeah. And it's, but he's so always trying to protect his mom. You know, even when he finds out about the, that Kevin is, is cheating on his mom, you know, he, he wants to protect her. Like, I mean, she, and that's not your job, dude. Yeah. You're a kid. Yes. And that, Exactly. Because he want he doesn't want her to have to, you know, her second marriage to fail. And, you know, overall, he is 
Kevin is a kind person. He does care about his mom. And he does care about the family, even though he's a, a, a he's got know, problems. He's got problems. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of very strong or overarching theme of the entire book. It's like it's not your responsibility to protect your parents, right? And to hide everything and fix everything. There was actually a moment that really struck me in the book, and um, it's when uh, Kevin, who's Van's stepdad, you know, he kind of has this moment where he really steps up and he goes into like this full angry protector mode. And Ingrid's like, wow, I, I really am kind of feeling this vibe. <laughs> and, and I'm obviously paraphrasing. And she's like, I, I get why Lisa likes this and stuff. And it's like, yeah, because sometimes you know, for whatever reason, these people have, you know, sometimes big problems, but no one's, ah, no one's always completely evil or completely bad, you know, because they have complicated dynamics or because they're having something extramarital. It doesn't mean that they're evil, right? And that's, you know, that's stuff that we're reminded of constantly in our lives and not just when you're a teenager but as you get older too and they really do step up for ingrid and i really like how much how much love they have for her and how much you know it's what's the word i'm looking for they're just very parental towards her they're very protective of her because she needs that in that moment i want to talk just a little bit about carolyn for a minute so carolyn is of course very complicated like we all are and there's a big moment where of course when carolyn's writing her letter and ingrid has kind of a moment of realization she'd been going through life thinking of Carolyn as so adult and so sophisticated and so polished. And then she remembers her kind of crying and freaking out and looking very much like a scared little girl when Mike's getting, you know, busted. And, you know, and even in her letter, she's coming off kind of coy and aloof, but she's being very sweet and sincere in what she says to Ingrid. And as a as a grown up person, you can just really see that. And it just really made my heart really open towards Carolyn because you can see she's in that mode too of I want to be you know I'm 18 I'm an adult and it's like technically <laughs> it's like, exactly it's like yes technically uh however that doesn't mean that you're ready to make adult decisions and having a relationship with somebody who's like almost old enough to be your dad <laughs> is kind of an adult decision to make and of course the fact that he is your coach it's hard to see that it's like oh carolyn that's really not okay because he should know better in this situation and you know and she has such sincerity in the things she's saying for ingrid and you just like i don't know i just really hope she's doing okay <laughs> i hope that she's okay too I hope she's doing okay the 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 ending of this book troubled me with her and with Coach Mike. It, it was it was very hard to you know I, I wanted you know I wanted you know the police to come in and just destroy everything and Coach Mike. I never want to I never want to see you again. You know go yeah. go live in a ditch. Like I really <laughs> wanted like this demonization. But that's not realistic. But that's not realistic. Yeah. And and you know. But but it is difficult because, you know, there are choices that people make and things are complicated. But I I really feel for Carolyn, who doesn't 
see what happened really she doesn't see it yet and i and i hope she does and that she gets into relationships with people more like van (laughs) (laughs) you know people who are good and and people who care and have good hearts and i thought that was so cool too that moment when ingrid tells that to lisa and kevin she just kind of blurts out van's a good person and it's like because you know they're all dealing with oh my god van's been doing drugs the kids are doing drugs and it's like oh my god they're sneaking into this house and that's so i imagine scary for them but it's like but he's a good person yeah he has a really good heart and same thing with my with uh, max and wilson they're good people they're nice boys they're really nice boys i wanted more of them because they, they made just- a stupid stupid decision by not speaking out about Carolyn and Coach Mike, but it was because of, you know, kind of this addiction and this scariness that they were facing. So you can you can see and you can have compassion towards that. Well, I think it's important in their situation is they didn't recognize that it was Coach Mike. They knew it was an older dude. They knew it was an older dude, which you're 100% right. They still should have spoken up, but, you know, they're afraid for themselves because it's going to... They learned a lesson, though. Yeah, it's going to throw everything that they're doing and the things that they currently want to do just into shambles. They're basically going to have to explain why they were at the house, what they're doing at the house, and and that kind of ends that whole chapter. Um, I have faith that if they knew that it was Coach Mike, they would have oh, yeah. I mean, spoken up. The thing is, is that even good people m- make mistakes and have lessons to learn. So there's nothing wrong with that. And I have no doubt that they learned a lesson. And I like that. I think I think Ingrid's right. I think that those boys are going to be friends forever. And I think that Ingrid, you know, she kind of re-cements herself into the group there a little bit at the end. And of course, now she's going to be dating Van and I, you know, I hope that's end game for those two. Together forever. I mean, maybe that's kind of a lot to put on two 16-year-olds, <laughs> but I like them together so much uh, that I think it's important. Um, I think that uh, it was cool to read about EMDR therapy in a book as well, because that's something that's gaining a lot of popularity. And um, I know plenty of people who've done an EMDR and it's really helped them. Yeah, I- I, I was going to ask you, actually, if that was the same therapy that, that we've talked about that other people have done. Yeah, yeah. Um, really interesting. I uh, <laughs> I really appreciated her basically, you know, f- this attitude about like, no, I don't I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to dredge that stuff up. No, thank you. Yeah, she was. I mean, and that's part of a process for some people dealing with with trauma too. Yeah, it's difficult. And it's not always like a a, st- a straight road, right? Like there's lots of twists and and turns and things she you take time to sometimes sluss out. It's yeah, it's different. And it's important for her because she rec- I mean, she always recognizes that that was a very difficult time in her life, mm-hmm. but she doesn't she doesn't see herself as someone who is dealing with trauma, which she very much is. Right, which I feel like is very accurate portrayal of somebody going through trauma is, I'm fine. This is fine. And it's like, well, you know what's not fine. Why do you have insomnia? Like, why do you have, you know, this XYZ? But it takes time. It takes time, children. Oh, Coach Mike, hate that mother. Yeah. <laughs> Dying of fire. Dying of fire, Coach Mike. You and your man bun, which I don't think he has anymore, but that's not the point. He's forever a man bun. I think that was Max's father who had a man bun. No, he Coach Mike had one when he was younger. Or was it Max? Which, well, yeah, he did have one. You're right. 
when he when he when he you know is got it, his second wife is it weird that like i'm <laughs> in the movie of this i'm picturing like 20 years ago dean kane playing coach mike <laughs> what like back like during like that's i never watched it but when we were kids he had a superman show and i'm like oh my god it's that it's that guy Okay. Sorry, Dean Kane. I don't mean to throw you under the bus like that. That's not what I pictured at all, but I'm okay. To get under that bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, uh, funny enough, I pictured, um, oh no, I can't think of his name, from uh, Modern Family and from, from Pitch Perfect. Oh, Adam Levine. Is that is that who it is? Y- wait, one of, it's the same? Adam Devine. Adam Devine, yeah. Adam Levine's Maroon. Yeah. <laughs> is, the, is the dude from Maroon 5 his voice I don't like? Which also, uh, sure. yes. <laughs> but no, uh, Adam Devine, that's yeah. who I pictured as Coach Mike. Oh, like so, like looks like dude next door. Yes. Yeah. But he's a serpent. <laughs> All right. So thank you guys so, so much for joining us. Let's put a bow on this. And this is going to be a hard one to give a a rating for. But for me, I'm going to give this, I'm just, I'm just going to go classic. And I'm going to say four hearts out of five for this novel. Um, you know, it's, I think it's an important read. I think it's a beautifully written read with, we talked a little bit, but there's more, I mean, obviously you got this far, there's more diversity with the characters and with the neighborhood represent and represented. And I think that's so cool. And this is an important message and it's a mystery, but there's a lot of heart to it. And that's why I want to give it a heart rating. I'm going to score this based on, uh, Mart's ability to create completely complex characters and even more complex uh, relationships with their families. She's so strong at it. I'm giving it four and a half um, twists in a dive out of five, <laughs> I suppose. Um, I think she makes me cry every time I read her. She finds a way to pull it off when it comes to her character's relationship with their families and with their loved ones because I care about them so much and she does that to me. She's super, super good at it. Good, good job, Marit. And thank you again for being on the show. You're an absolute delight to talk to. Um, and just such a such a nice presence with so much darkness going on in the world today to get to speak to you. So thank you, Marit. <laughs> thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, readers. And please keep reading past your bedtime. 